When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study, and again, our second week in the new location. For those of you that do watch this, either archived or live, and we're glad you're here. And uh, the the men have made their way back to the new studio. Uh, you know, not everybody found it, but uh, but we we have we've gotten everybody in. I think we got one more that's coming that will aimlessly wander the pocket parking lot here in a minute, and. Some of the guys will go rescue him. But uh, we're settling in. Uh, the, the, we're putting together the seats. We're trying to get it set up. But uh, we do have men back live in the studio today, which is great. And I hope that you'll join us if you were a regular attender of this at the new location. If you have questions how to find it, just reach out to me, and I'd love to help you. All right, so we got some things going on that I want to pass along to you before we get too deep. We will be in Genesis chapter 2 if you want to take a look at that, Okay. So let me tell you some stuff that is going on with themanchurch.com. I do have uh, bad news to begin with, and that is that one of our events we have decided we need to cancel, and that is the man event in Pensacola on February the 4th. And I'm sorry if you had plans. You probably have already seen an email from us that your ticket has been refunded, uh, and we we, we felt like we had to let you know so you'd have time to cancel any hotels that you may have had. Uh, there's just some things that kept on roadblocks that kept getting in our way that we just could not seem to overcome. Uh, The pandemic and its rise and all that hasn't helped either. So, But here's what we're going to do. I want to say thank you to Olive, uh, uh, who was going to host that for us. They were ready to go. We could certainly have done done it if we wanted to as far as they were concerned. But uh, talking to Charles Billingsley and our speakers we had coming in, uh, we just uh, didn't see it being a successful event to the level that we would want or you would want uh, to attend it. So, we're going to cancel that, reschedule that maybe for next year. But here's the good news. Uh, we have other events, uh, gatherings, and conferences. Uh, if, you, if you were coming to uh, the man event and, and now, now you're getting refunded, well, just come to the Pursuit Men's Conference. It's coming up uh, February 18th and 19th in Dothan. Uh, it'll be going on at the Dothan Civic Center. Jonathan Evans will be speaking, Charles Billingsley, so you'll still get to see him. He'll be leading worship. Andy Blanks from our team will also be speaking. And those tickets are on sale now uh, by going to themanchurch.com or burgessministries.com, February 18th, 19th, Dothan, Alabama. And those of, you that, those of you that are not familiar with this part of the world, that's not that far from Pensacola, so where we're going to go. So that would be a, a great counter for your men's group if you were coming. Uh, we have all kinds of man churches that are going on. And we'd love for you to take advantage and and come to see us. Uh, Coming up on January the 16th, uh, Crossroads Church in Warrior, Alabama, Andy Blanks will be speaking there. Uh, They're doing the men's discipleship strategy. Now, on January the 23rd, we're going to be in a region of the state of Alabama, and we just about have it completely covered. So Troy, Alabama. So in Troy at First Baptist Church, Rich Wingo will speak. Uh, Over in Montgomery, not that far from Troy, uh, about an hour, uh, you'll have Mark Garnett at Landmark Church, and then Bay Springs Baptist in Dothan, Alabama. Uh, that Andy Blanks will be there. So if you want to go out to a man church, we got that region covered 
And all of those are on the same day, January the 23rd. Pick the one that works for you. Uh, Helmsy will be speaking, Michael Helms, in Ardmore, Tennessee, at Cash Point Baptist Church. Uh, they're starting the strategy uh, on January the 28th. Winfield Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama, they've been doing the strategy uh, on January the 30th. Uh, you can go there. And you can see Brian Gunn. Now, there's some other opportunities that uh, that are be, have been added to themanchurch.com today, like on the 18th and 19th of February. If you can't get to the Pursuit Conference, then we're sending two of our guys to Scottsboro, Alabama. It's going to be a Man Church weekend. Uh, uh, some churches are getting together, and you'll have Mark Garnett speaking on Friday night, and then you'll have Brian Gunn speaking on on Saturday morning. So if that that appeals to you, that's also at themanchurch.com for the same weekend. February the 18th and the 19th. So we just we want to give you you know throw you a, a lot of different pitches. Now if you're somebody saying, well, I wanted to hear Sherry, okay, well Sherry and I are going to be speaking together in Panama City uh, at uh, Highland Park Baptist Church for a, 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 a it'll be a marriage uh, gathering. It'll be happening on Saturday and uh, be on April the second. Uh, so if you want to now those tickets are not on sale yet, but if you want to get that on your calendar. You certainly can, and then keep checking that link, and when the tickets go on sale, they'll be there. Okay? So there you go. There's your kind of an update. If we can help you in any way with a men's, uh, a men's discipleship strategy, just go to themanchurch.com. Everything you need to know is there. Uh, let's open in a word of prayer, and let's dig right in. Lord, thank you for today. We're excited uh, about this journey uh, through Genesis. Uh, help us today. Today is a very, very, very important uh, truth that we need to apply so that we're not confused by some of the things that's going on in the modern state of our world and its fallen state concerning your standards. You're very clear on this. So help us to walk through that today. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Now, uh, Genesis chapter 2 starts off with something that has been uh, a lot for people to deal with, and this is this concept uh, that, uh, that that God is now going to rest on the seventh day. Uh, we talked about all the different uh, approaches last week, uh, different views people have on the age of the earth or what what these six days of creation, what do they stand for? Are they literal? Are they, are they an analogy? Is there a gap? So all of that uh, we talked about last week. So if you missed that, go, go to our YouTube channel or our podcast channel and get that archive. And, and, and so now we're going to kind of move in uh, to, to everything's been done, but now God's going to start addressing human beings. And if you remember last week, uh, and we didn't spend as much time on it uh, because uh, we, we were moving through pretty quickly because I knew that we got to chapter 2, we'd revisit it. But don't miss the concept of the Trinity last week. And I had some uh, one of the brothers reach out and said, I noticed you didn't spend much time on that. And I said, I didn't. Uh, and, and, and that was an oversight, but I was going to pick it back up in two, which we're doing now. Look at, go back to, to chapter one, and I want you to look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He didn't say after my, he says after our. Now, this is where you get to one of the, uh, the deepest concepts in all of Scripture, and that's the concept of the Trinity. But what, what, what I want to make sure you understand here, because there are people out there that would try to convince you uh, that the Trinity is not a biblical truth about God. Well, here is the Bible and God himself saying he's making mankind, male and female, in our image. Uh, and so, meaning the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, triune God. 
triune, but one God, three persons. Now, I've told you many times, Adrian Rogers probably has the most simplistic uh, comment on this. If you try to fully understand the Trinity, you will likely lose your mind because we have a finite mind. But if you deny its truth, you will lose your redemption. So, uh, so when anybody starts trying to play games with the Trinity, uh, that's heresy and that's blasphemy. And you see in the very first chapter of God's holy word, he establishes the Trinity and that, uh, that mankind was made in our image. So remember that as we move through our truths for today. Uh, and, and go ahead right now and realize the Bible tells us about the Trinity right out of the gate. And, keep, and, and where, where's redemption going to come from? It's going to come from the Son. But the Son's already there. John tells us this in the Gospel of John, if you remember us talking about that in our study. So let's, let's start in, in uh, chapter 2, and let's, let's look at verses 1 through 4 to begin with. So it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that uh, he had done in creation. Okay, so he, he, when you look at this concept of rest, I want to be sure we understand what, what Scripture is talking about here in the original Hebrew what, what, what Scripture is really saying is God had completed what he intended. It's completed. Is there, is there a greater feeling? I, I'm almost obsessed with the feeling of completion of a project. You know, when you got something, and there's just, I mean, there's a euphoria that comes out, and Sherry goes, you're weird about this. When I'm knocking something out and I'm getting things done, I just, I, I, that to me is just, uh, that's the, one of the greatest highs uh, on earth. And, and what you find here is, he had finished his creation, and this is crucial, this is crucial, of an orderly universe which will also has inhabitants, meaning this is what I want to do, this is how I've done it, it's complete. It, don't get in the concept of thinking God was tired, so he needed some rest. No, what he's saying is it's done. When, when will we hear it is finished again uh, after the fall of mankind, which comes in chapter 3? On the cross, right? Uh, it, it is finished. So this was before the fall. So this is our first. It is finished. I'm done with it, and uh, and so he is going to. It, it, it's not a state of weariness. I just want you to get that God does not get tired and, and hungry like like we do. Okay. What this is saying is this is a rest of satisfaction, not a rest of weariness. Does everybody follow that? And that's important to know that. Uh, so he declares the seventh day holy. Why? Because of its completion. It, it's complete. This is I've completed it, and now there is this day. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go to chapter 2. The Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go to chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse 27. Now, if you remember, what was one of the things that the Pharisees were always trying to catch Jesus on to declare that he was not God, working on the Sabbath, right? I mean, they were constantly trying to catch him on that. And, and you, you, know, you, you see that in other places. But here's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2 when, when he realizes what is going on, and then he's going to go to verse 27 when they're once again trying to corner him on, on the Sabbath deal. And he said to them, 
after they tried to corner him again on the Sabbath. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. You know, he says, this was not intended by my father to be some legalistic thing. Y'all have turned it into. Uh, this was something designed for human beings because it's a good idea to take these this, this seven-day uh, work week and find a day that, it, that you need to rest on. Rest is important. But I'll tell you what it wasn't done. It was not set up as some idol that mankind's supposed to worship. Uh, it was made for them. It was not they were not made for it. Uh, and and so so anyway, and and he says, and by the way, as long as they're with me, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, so I certainly don't need it, and I'm certainly not in sin. So uh, this was not meant the way people uh, uh, as human beings made it. If you look at the law of the Sabbath in Exodus 20, uh, 8 through 11, and this is coming in on the Ten Commandments, this was based off God's rest or satisfaction, as we said, in what he created. Now, it is fair to say that God has established a seven-day cycle. That's fair. Uh, and, and, and that on and one day we should also rest, but it's not supposed to be some legalistic enforceable Sabbath on one certain day, as it turned into. And if you don't believe that, then you have to say that Jesus sinned because Jesus was constantly breaking the man-made version of it and telling them that they had added something to this that God, his Father never intended. So if, if, if it's supposed to be as legalistic as human beings have made it, then you have to think that Jesus sinned because Jesus violated the way human beings were implementing the Sabbath and then told them they were doing it wrong. So uh, now, does that mean this, that uh, that it's not important? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Uh, but what it means is it's not an idol, and we don't turn it into some legalistic burdensome something. It was for our benefit. It's kind of like I, I look at the Book of Revelation. This was supposed to be good news, and of course, we've turned it into doomsday. This was supposed to be reassuring to us of the of who Jesus is, and that He has conquered sin and death, and that we've turned it into some kind of ghost hunt or something. Uh, it's amazing how God intends some things to be a blessing, and we just mess it up. And uh, and so, what what this was intended is to be a blessing for us, and that we've turned it into something burdensome. And um, so, uh, it, it's something that God created. Think about this now, and this is what's important. It's, it's clearly that something that God created for man's own good, uh, meaning it is important and it shouldn't be ignored. And, and, and I will say this. Now, there's certain God's never going to say, well, I don't know. I just don't know about you taking this day and declaring that, that it, it's you resting and you not working, and while you're not working, you're focusing on me. God's not going to go, well, I wish you wouldn't do that. That's not a very good idea. It's a great idea. Uh, and, and it's a healthy idea spiritually and physically, and that's why it was designed. So uh, it, it, look, look at verse 4, okay? Uh, uh, now, now this, this can get, you know, it, this stands along, uh, and for a minute it looks kind of odd when you're going through the, the Scriptures, but these headings that you see, I'm going to show you that this heading thing is not, not going to be something that just appears out of nowhere. Go over to 5, just flip over in Genesis to chapter 5. Uh, go over to chapter uh, chapter five of Genesis, and then uh, l- look at this heading. Um, uh, you you see this doing again in in five one. Th- this is the book of the generations of Adam. Do you see that? This is once again where he's setting up. So this is what's happening over in four, but this time it involves creation. 
so he's going to start off in, in four as this heading. And what he really wants us to know in this heading, Moses, as he's writing this, inspired by God, all he's doing right here is he's transitioning us after talking about God resting, and he's transitioning us and say, transitioning, saying, "Now I'm going to roll through a sequence of events for you." And I'm going to kind of, you know, it'd be like me going, "All right, guys, this next part, I'm just going to click it out how it happened one after another." But we're working our way to something bigger. Does that make sense? So he says, "These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens." So he's going to go back and say, "Let me tell you some other things that started happening." But you know where he's working us to, right? The creation of uh, what he's about to tell uh, the man what he can and cannot do, and then he's going to also be given the woman. That's where he's trying to get. So he's almost like, now let me run through all this to tell you how we got here. And he says, so when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, I'm in verse 5 now, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. Make a note of that. Underline that. Why is that important? We got a flood coming later. Uh, so understand this rain concept was 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 new to everybody when when the flood came, because that's not the way he was keeping the ground moist uh, up to uh, up to that point, and there was no man to work the ground, and and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Can you kind of see it? He had a process of doing this, but it was mainly with the dew, and and with with a mist. There, there was no pouring rain or anything like that. Uh, and he says, and he, what does he say now? The, I don't have, I don't have the man working it yet, but he's going to. So we, we've got that coming up. So he's going to tell you more about how we were created. Now, verse one, I mean, chapter one's already told us that he created mankind, but now Moses said, let me give you a few more details on how that took place. Why? Because he's given us the heading. Here we go. I'm going to work you through the sequence of how this worked. We already know all this was done. We're, we got God resting, and then Moses goes back and says, now let me give you some more details on this before we move on. Okay. So you see how it works? Okay. And it's fascinating. I just love this. So so anyway, so he says, um, then the Lord God. Now, underline underline Lord God, okay? This, this is going to come back in Chapter 3, and it is going to blow your mind as it did me. Let's talk about Lord God. Why, why have we gone from God to Lord God? Don't, don't miss this because this, this is going to be big uh, a little bit later on. So, when he when they're saying God created and God did this, that that that's that's going to be the uh, the Hebrew word uh, uh, Elohim, okay? That just means God's majestic rule over all things. That's one of God. You know, God has many names, and they all mean something different. So when we're moving to Lord God, we're moving to Yahweh. We're moving to Yahweh Jehovah. Uh, this was in the in 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 the Hebrews the most holy name of God. Because it, this doesn't just mean that he has a majestic rule, like he's omnipotent, because he certainly is. This is going to go deeper and say it's not just this broad power of God over everything. That's Elohim. What we're going to do now is get into Yahweh, Jehovah, and this this is going the Lord God. This means he's also master over everything, including who? Human beings. He's master. What 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 does what what happens when Paul starts talking about redemption in Romans chapter ten nine and ten? If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so if you don't get the the mastery part of God, and that was my problem. I lived my life believing in Jesus 
for as long as I was knew my left hand from my right. But I didn't experience redemption and reconciliation until I repented of my sin and left the authority of myself and then transferred my life under the authority of the Lord. He was now my authority. Repentance, lordship. That faith in God is leaving faith in my mastery and putting faith solely in his. And when this starts in creation, and we're going to get there, the fall will come in three. But what's happening here is the Lord God, the reason why this is transitioning, is human beings in the beginning, we were to trust that his authority was all we needed. And he's going to give us a choice on whether we want to stay under his authority or we want to, have, we want to be under our own authority. And, and you know, y- y'all know that didn't go well. I hate to give away the story. But, but anyway, so, so make a note. This transition to the Lord God is a big one, and you're going to see something happen in, in three that you may have never noticed before. I didn't, and it's, it's, it's big. So anyway, so let's establish Lord God here. Now, in, in seven, we're now getting to the creation of, of man. Okay, so then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, this is big, too. I know y'all are saying, Rick, you say it's all big. Well, I guess it is. All right, so uh, God breathed the breath of life into mankind. He did not do that with the lower creatures. You know, it just happened in here a minute ago. Yeah, my dog thinks he's a human. No, he really doesn't. Uh, because he, he does not have he, the, the, the breath of life was not breathed into his nostrils. Is, is he a great creation and given to us for benefit and, and it's a wonderful thing? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with you loving your animals and loving your pets. Just don't treat them like human beings because they're not. They, they, were, they did not have God's breath of life breathed into their nostrils. So man alone, this is big, 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 big with the society that we live in now. Man alone has the personal link to God. Man alone has the personal link to God. No, it is not true that we are just another highly developed animal. That is not true. That is from the pits of hell. And nobody's, and they're not all evolving to get where we are. Okay? There's a personal link from God to mankind. And that is unlike anything else in creation. But here's the beautiful part about the humility of it all. And I credit um, uh, J.W. Ferguson. I've been reading some of his commentary. J.W. Ferguson, here's what he said. I love this. Man alone has the, this personal link to God, but we, we must also never forget that, uh, uh, that in our most lofty state, as much as we get excited, think, well, we must be something, man is still made out of dust. Be careful how lofty. You, you, you do have the breath of life breathed in your nostril, but you were made out of dust. Okay, you're not God. And so there's that, there's that hey, I elevate you from my power, but don't get too full of yourself. You think God just said, I, I don't know why I'm making them out of dust. I don't know why I'm doing that. No, he's doing that because there's a humility happening here too. What he's doing with human beings is something new. He's, not, he's never done this before. And it's a nice mix of... You know, lifting you up but keeping you humble, and uh, so so. Um, and then what we do in eight through seventeen, we're going to talk about man's relationship to the garden. Okay, 
So, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree uh, that is pleasant uh, to the sight and good for food. Now, this, this is another underlying place. Everybody ready to underline? The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's two trees. Okay, one of them forbidden, the other not, until until the fall in three. But we'll unpack that a little bit. Uh, that's, that's coming down the road. Okay, I'm I'm excited about that, but we can, we're not going to get into that today. So, this garden was designed for what? To give man whatever he needed. Everything you need is going to be in this garden. Another thing, uh, which is kind of cool, which I, I find really cool. He could have just said, this is everything you need. Why in the world is he springing up trees that are pleasant to the sight? Why? For what reason? Well, you see right now in the creation, I bet every one of you can still have that connection to God. I know I do. You know what he's saying? He says, I realize uh, when God's making us, they're going to need more than food for their belly. They also need beauty to see. Yeah, I mean, they're going to need food the way I've designed them, and I'm going to provide that. Think about it. God doesn't have to give us beautiful things to look at. But he does because he said that's part of you too. I I know that you don't just – and that's why you see some of the artistic stuff that human beings have done, you know, because he's the ultimate creator, but he's placed in us a desire to see and create beautiful things because his life was breathed into us. That's something we got from him. And so he's, he's, he's not just going to tell Adam, hey, here it is. It's kind of bland to look at, but you're going to have everything that you need. You're not going to go hungry. No, he says, no, I'm also going to make it pretty beautiful for you to look at. And then he goes further. Uh, look, look, look at what happens here. Um, the, he, he gives him beautiful surroundings to enjoy, beautiful surroundings to inspire him. And if you look at 10 through 14, look at this. A river flowed out of, out of Eden to, to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. And then he goes and he gives he gives the different names of the ri- of, of 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 the rivers. And it flowed around the whole land. It tells you where it was, where there was gold. Look at twelve. And then the gold of that land uh, is good. And then you've got onyx and and, and there and, and the name of the second river is Gihon. And, and the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. So why is all this in here? I'll tell you why. Not only did he have beautiful surroundings to enjoy and be inspired by, apparently God also gave him a world to explore from that garden. I mean, and you realize these places exist today. But but the garden has been hidden away from us because of the fall. We'll get to that in a minute. So we, we see that, that there, there's a lot more than just the garden. He's got a lot to see. He's got a lot of acreage. You know, when Adam went to the back forty, he had he had a lot he had a lot to see, a lot to explore, which is kind of cool. And then fifteen, here it comes. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I mean, does God need somebody to work his garden? So what is what what is he doing? Well, because he made us to work. That was part of his design. See. Don't miss when we get to three, when the curses are being handed down because of our sin. Work in and of itself is never cursed. See, now Adam is going to work, and the work's going to be productive, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be fulfilling. The work that is cursed is meaningless and hated. 
but you still have to do it. That wasn't the kind of work that Adam was doing. This was a blessing and enjoyable and fulfilling and was, pro- and was productive. If you want to say when God talks about what happens after that, he says, right now when you go out to till the land and work it, it's going to cooperate with you. But after the fall, it's going to fight against you. Briars, problems. So the cur- work in and of itself, we got to understand that. Work in and of itself is not cursed, and work was something that God expected us to do. So let me be perfectly clear. If you are mentally and physically able, I'm not talking about people who aren't, but if you're mentally and physically able to work and you're not doing it, you're in sin. You need to get up off your butt and go to work, especially if you claim to be a man or a woman of God. And, of course, when I talk of work with women and men, I'm not talking about a, a, a particular vocation. I mean, your work may be that you take care of your house and take care of your children. That is inc- incredible work. It's the never-ending job. It may be uh, that your your work is that you get out and you work the land and you do all that, whatever it is. But let me tell you what we don't do. We don't sit around and play video games, and we don't sit around and 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 uh, and, and, and cramming snacks in our mouth. And when we can men- mentally, mentally and physically able – to work and we just refuse to work because we just don't want to because we're lazy. And 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 you're also supposed to be, you'll see later in scripture in the New Testament, if you're you're supposed to be men, good providers. If you're not a good provider, scripture, Paul tells Timothy, the men who won't provide for their family and they will not work, they're worse than a pagan. And so so this is something that God has always intended. Yes, some work is cursed now, but that doesn't mean we don't work. We were designed from the very beginning to work, and you ought to be working if you can mentally and physically do it. And and if you and if you're saying, well, I'm waiting on that, I'm waiting on that management job. Well, then you go to work somewhere until that comes along. You don't sit at home and take taxpayer money for doing nothing when you can mentally and physically work. That's sin. So so anyway, so he's um, he, he's talking about uh, uh, this very clearly because that was the original creation. We're going to talk about God's original intent a lot today in chapter 2. You know why? Because it's here in Scripture. So let's look what's happening in 16 and 17 now. In, in 16 and 17, we see that God is now going to talk about human beings and man being a moral creature. Every man needs to be ready for 15 and 16. Are you ready? The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, underline that. All right, guys, y'all ready? Eve's not here yet. We have no Eve. There are no women yet. It's just him. So does Eve hear the instruction about the tree? Not from God. Who's she supposed to hear it from? Her husband. God's talking to Adam right. There's no Eve yet. Eve's coming up later in the chapter. Okay? And and what did what did Moses tell us up here in verse four? He said, I'm gonna roll this out in the sequence of events. Okay? So uh the Lord God commanded the man, saying to him, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. All right, now remember, he doesn't list the tree of life. Because the tree of life was was providing life for Adam and, and wood for Eve as well when she gets here. He's saying, I don't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Right there, Adam needs to give a, hey, uh, Roger that. Uh, so, so man is a moral creature. 
But here's the thing that I know a lot of people don't like, but it's just it's just it's just true. And if this is you disagree with this, that that's perfectly fine. You can. I'm not the final say. But as you see here, he did not say, Adam. There's no need for me to cover this because I've made you a robot. You're not going to eat from it anyway because I didn't make you that way. This is important because if man's going to be a moral creature, then he must have a choice if he's ever to arrive at true goodness by choosing God's will for himself. You know, I've talked about this analogy, and it seems to work a lot of times. If Adam had no choice and God had made him a robot, then he's not a moral agent. Everybody follow that? Think think about it if you have kids or grandkids or whatever, and, and this analogy really, really helped me with all this. God has made human beings for him to be glorified, for him to be worshipped. So for us to kind of understand why God would allow this choice and not just say, I'm never going to let you eat from that tree because that just is going to be bad. If you were wanting your children to really have faith in you, okay, yeah, do y'all have faith in me? Yes, Daddy, we have faith in you. Do you believe that I, what I'm doing is what's right for you? Right. So do you want to choose what's right for you, or do you believe that Daddy can choose it for you? I believe that Daddy can choose it for me. So then you take them to some mall somewhere, okay? And let's say that they're small enough that they, they really can't take care of themselves, but they can move. They, they're, they're up, they're walking, they're all this. And you go to the mall to the food court, okay, and there's tables there. And you need to go to one of the restaurants there to get everybody food, but there's no way you can get the food and take care of them at the same time. So you try this because they're old enough for this, but they're, they're, they're not adults. And you say, hey, guys, here's the table we're going to use. They can see you. I'm going to go right over there, and I'm going to get trays, and I'm going to get us food. I want you to sit at this table, and there's, here's the reason why. If you leave this table and you start running around this mall, bad things can happen to you. You could be snatched up by somebody. You could hurt yourself. You don't need to leave my presence, and you don't need to leave my instruction because that's going to cause bad things for you. Do you trust Daddy is right? Yes, sir. Well, then you take out a chain, and you chain them to the chairs, and then you go get the food. Well, when you turn around with the food, they're still there. But is that glory? They don't even know if they even believed you were right. You don't, they didn't even really, they made no choice to stay there. They were chained. But if you go get that food and they can go anywhere they want to and there's no chains on them and you turn around and they're still sitting there, I can speak for every dad in this room and across this country and around the world. Now that's glory. Because you know what they said? We believe you were right and we obeyed you. We trust you. Our faith's in you. So that's, this is what this was established. Remember, this is the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. So what's happening right now is God is saying, as of right now, this is big, as of right now, you trust me to decide what is right and wrong. And if you go eat off that tree, that's going to mean you want to decide what's right and wrong, and it's going to lead to your death. That's really what this tree is all about. But it's not the tree of life. The tree of life, they could eat from it until we get to three, and then, then they get shut down on that. So then comes the moment, okay? Look at 18. So Adam's been given the tree information, not Eve. Make a note of that. It's important. So 18 shows up, and God says he's been saying everything is good, 
You've probably heard this before, but it's important to repeat it again, and some of you may never heard it. God has been saying that everything he's created so far is good, and here comes the first not good. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper, some translations say partner, helper is really a better translation, a helper fit for him. This is real important. I've had many great theologians tell me, if you want to get the, the most clarity of what God means and what he, what he wants, go find the first time he establishes it. What God is about to establish, and we are rubbing his nose in it figuratively, we are thumbing our nose at him, and we are telling him all around this world, and especially in this country, we don't think you know what you're doing. Because here's what he said. It's not good that a male is alone, and I'm about to make a helper fit for him. There is no other choice I've come up with. I'm not about to give out a multiple choice. I'm not going to ask Adam, what do you think? I'm going to ask Adam, uh, I'm about to come up with something. Th- hey, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's spitball a little bit. Give me some ideas of a helper you'd like to have. This doesn't take place because God knows what he's doing. And he says, I'm about to make the helper that is fit for this man. Right now I'm going to do it. So, so what he does next is correct. And he says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man. Don't admit they came out of the dirt too, to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living thing, there was a name. Now look at God's sense of humor here. 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. This is, this is very funny to me. I'm picturing Adam. God's walking these animals by him. And he's naming them, and you know what Adam's noticing? Look, 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 look at this. And Adam, the man gave names to all this, the beast field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Adam keeps looking at these animals going by, going, you seem to be pairing them up. Uh, where, where, where's my helper? This also means that an animal is not a fit helper for a man. It's not. God said, I've looked at creation, and I'm going to find you a helper on something I've already created. He didn't do that. You know, you know what that means? Nothing he had created to this point was the right helper for a man. You know, I hate to keep driving this point home, so don't get too weird with this blasphemy of, I, li- I like to be around animals because they're better than human beings. Now, not according to God, they're not. Because God said that's not a helper fit for a man. Doesn't mean you can't have a pet. I'm not saying that. But this thing that somehow... That this is my per- I'd rather be with this dog than to be with uh, with a wife or to be with. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's not what God said. That's not a helper fit for you. That won't do. There's only so much that can provide. That's not what I created for you as your helper. So, um, and we've taken things like man's best friend. No, man's best friend is woman. It's not a dog. It's woman. According to God. Now, if you want to say that you know more than God, I guess I guess you could say that. Now, you'd be an idiot, but you could say that because sometimes we think we know better than God. I've, I've certainly been idiotic like that uh, and made my own mistakes because I didn't do what God said. And you know what? Can I just let you in on it? He's right from experience. So, 21, here it comes. 
So are y'all ready? God's about to say who is the perfect helper for man, end of subject. And he does not give a multiple choice. He says this, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a not another man, not another animal. He didn't make two of them. He didn't make five of them. He made a woman and brought her to the man. So the Lord God, the creator of everything, the Lord God for the very first time as documented in his holy word says, I have the perfect helper and the only one that is fit for a male and I decide it is a woman. Period. And you know what? This standard never changes throughout all of Scripture. You see Jesus referring back to it. You see Paul referring back to it. You see Peter referring back to it. It never changes. There's not a moment in Scripture. And we do see, by the way, we do see in the New Testament. We see, because you, that's one of the arguments you hear a lot of times with all of our new inventions of marriage and, and helpers and all that. And people say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. No. First of all, if it's Old Testament stuff, that's still enough. But but when you go into the New Testament, you see Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He starts taking things like adultery and says, let me expand on that a little bit for you. Taking things like murder and saying, oh, by the way, you can murder somebody without ever physically murdering them. You can murder them by ruining their reputation, destroying their name. He gets down to marriage. He didn't change anything. As my father made them male and female. And this is the statement that he's about to make to end our, our study today. As my father made him male and female, by the way, that's still going. We get to the revelation, and what do we see? The bride and the groom. What does Paul talk about in Ephesians 5? Husbands, wives. What does Peter talk about? Don't be harsh with your wife. God won't hear your prayers. You never see an instant of anybody in Holy Scripture ever changing God's standard that's established right here. It does not change. Now, do we corrupt it? Yes. Have I corrupted it? Yes. But that doesn't mean the standard changed. The standard is established right here, and it never wavers throughout Scripture. So for us, especially in the church of all things, to say that somehow God has evolved on his standard is heresy. And people who do that in the church should be removed. This should not be allowed. It should not be tolerated. Not because we're against them, but because we're for God. And we have just... I've seen people take this standard and change it because it would be easier for them in their own personal lives to change it, not because it's right. Do any of of y'all read Oswald Chambers? Man, that is the best 365-day-a-year devotional that I've ever read. And and look, I've written some devotionals myself. Mine doesn't even come close to it. Oswald Chambers, God spoke through that man, and and the only thing great about him is God. Uh, but but it's just I, I've never seen a devotional better than this. Okay, I'm talking about strictly devotionals, things you get up and you read something every day and you start your day. I read it every day. Listen to what he said today. Beware, beware of the inclination to dictate, dictate to God what consequences you would allow as a condition of your obedience to him. Be real careful with that.
And what do people say? Well, I mean, I don't want to lose my family. I mean, I don't want to lose my relationship with my kid. Is that what God said? Matter of fact, uh, yeah, how about this? Jesus talks about that may happen if, if you stand with God. Oswald says, be real careful telling God. I'll say it more of a Rick Burgess C student deal because Oswald's quite educated. You know what he's saying? Be real careful telling God, look, there's only so many things I'm going to do to support you. And if it's going to cost me something, I'm going to change the standard. I may lower the standard sometime just, to, just so it won't be so hard on me. And God's, I'd be real careful with that. You telling God, I'll be obedient to you, but only to a certain extent. Will you be obedient to my standard of marriage? Well, unless people I really love change it. Uh, unless it gets hard out there and people start calling me a bigot or saying that I'm hateful, uh, you know, then I'm just going to kind of crumble like a tin can because I don't want the people to be mad at me. But do you care that God's upset with you? I'd be much more concerned about that. And you don't have to, we don't have to be a jerk about it. We just say, hey, love you. God didn't make you that way. Sin made you that way, just like sin has caused me all my trouble. God didn't make me a fornicator. He didn't make me. Uh, he didn't make me lust in my heart for women that aren't my wife. He didn't make. He didn't make a, anybody an adulterer. And he didn't make anybody homosexual. That's sin that does all that. And what we don't do is we don't say that any sin is to be justified, and just because it's difficult, then I'm just going to give into it. Right. I mean, is that, is that what is that so? When it comes to things that are difficult, if if the sin's too difficult, and you just rather be doing it, do you think on all these other things that God's had His standard on? You just say, "I just was sorry, I'm not doing that. That cost me too much." I can tell you, as a man who had the same problem, and I saw it again Sunday night at a deal, I had a chance to do it, and I know it is most of the time men and women, but we talk mainly to men. Men will not follow Jesus because they know it's going to cost them their sin. That's, that's the problem. I don't want to take that step because when he redeems me and he begins to sanctify me, he's going to take away things that I like to do that are in conflict with him. I can't be with him and still do this, and I pick that. That's what happens. It happened to me. That's how I was. But, man, let me just tell you straight up, if you're that way like I was, I feel so foolish now that I truly have a relationship with Christ that only he accomplished he is so much better than any sin. And you know what? If you get to the point where you don't have a desire for the, the, the helper that was fit for man, you just don't have that desire. You just don't have it. Well, then serve him celibate. But let me tell you what you don't do. You don't invent another version of marriage and come up with a partner that's not fit for you and tell God you'd rather do that. You don't do that. And you don't blast, you don't, and you don't take the, the, the helper fit for you and go off and chase some other woman and go off and bed down with her when God said, I gave you the wife, and this is your wife, and she's fit for you, and I deem this as holy. And whoever's out here, woe to those of you that come and mess up God's holy matrimony. Woe to you. Because Hebrews tells us, the writer of Hebrews says, may we all, hold marriage in a place of honor, and may the marriage bed never be defiled. God, don't play any games with this. This is a big deal to him. And this is his standard, and it should not be violated by anyone. And anyone who violates it, you, you should not go along with them. And if you do and you claim to love them, you're wrong. It'll be difficult. It'll be very hard. I mean, I've, I've got relationship problems I could fix 
with a snap of my finger if I just compromise God. Hey, I'm not going to stick with God's standard. Let's go out to eat. I could solve it just like that. But I know that's not, not only it's not right for the person I claim to love, it blasphemes the God I claim to serve. Now you end up in a bad situation. Now you, you're, not, you're not doing anything right. We never compromise God's standard, and his standard is crystal clear. Look at verse 23, I mean 22. Can you imagine this moment? Let's get back on the, on the celebrating now. Can you imagine this moment? Don't you know that the first woman that God made, I bet she was something. <laughs> so in the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man and listened to the man's response. Here comes Adam. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Or another translation, wow. Wow. And it breaks my heart how he talks about her once the fall comes. But we'll do that next week. Because look at him now, and you'll see how sin changes everything, unfortunately. And then the statement that Jesus referred, Jesus get canceled today. He'd be kicked right off Twitter. Uh, because Jesus kept, kept repeating this, what Moses said in, in Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Underline that. I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, why is that in there? Why is that important? It is important uh, because sin has not entered the world. So let me, let's, 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 let's hit this real quick. We're talking about marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Some uh, King James Version said cleave to his wife, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is bigger than, than physical. Physical is part of it. It's a gift from God. But it's bigger than that. It means that a new family has been established in these two people. Now, Adam and Eve don't have a father and a mother. Why is, why is Moses putting this in? They have, they have God. Because this is for us, though, that will be their offspring. We will have earthly fathers and mothers. So in the, in the time of marriage, the holy word of God is saying, when the marriage comes, your mother and father are placed in a place of honor, but they do not outrank your wife. You are now going to establish your new family with her and for the wives with him. And this, this, this going on and on where you constantly make your, your spouse you know, have to work her schedule and everything around your mother and daddy, you certainly take care of your mother and father. Don't misunderstand me. But you don't sit there and, and dictate to your wife that for the rest of her life, your mom and daddy still are going to take precedent over her. We can't do that today because of my mom and daddy. No, we're not going to do that because of my mom and daddy. Oh, by the way, my mom and daddy, my mom and daddy. Uh, no, when you go and you take a wife, that new family starts, and, and she now is the number one earthly priority. Everybody else is secondary, including your mom and daddy. Okay, they, can have, they, they certainly are in a place of honor, and they certainly should always be honored and not mistreated, but they don't outrank your wife, and they don't come into your marriage superseding her place or his for the husband. That, that, that is not God's design. So we covered a lot today uh, in, in a relatively short period of time. So those are all big moments. Uh, next week we go to this wonderful setup of God all falling apart, 
and how it fell apart. But things I want you to hang on to to next week. Number one, Adam was told what they could and could not do in the garden. Eve was. We never see God telling this stuff to Eve. Uh, and also keep in mind what I talked about walking through uh, chapter 2, the phrase Yahweh, the Lord God, showing his mastery and his authority over all creation, especially human beings. Hang on to that, and we'll have some really, really big points that will come flying out of the Word of God for us next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, I pray that you would help us uh, to be the people that only you can make us. Um, uh, you you are right and we are wrong. And um, uh, forgive us, Lord, that uh, once we uh, partook of that tree, we have been trying to tell you what to do ever since the fall, believing that we somehow in ourselves can create better versions of what you originally created, uh, which is is heresy and blasphemy. Forgive us for that. Forgive me, Lord, for all the times I've sinned against you when I knew your standard and decided to do something that, that I thought was better. And, of course, when it led to the destruction, you were still gracious enough to lift me up. And, uh, and as I turned away from the sin and said, I'm sorry, you forgave me, just like you will all who say, I'm sorry, and repent of their sin and say, Lord, I want to go back to your standard. Will you forgive me? If they're sincere, you know what you said? You will. Uh, we, as we repent of our sin and turn away from the sin, and then we turn to you and we submit to your authority, the authority that you already have, we just finally submit to it and stop trying to run our own lives and stop trying to be our own gods. Maybe today there's somebody who says, you know what, there's things that I heard out of creation I'm not doing right. Uh, we'll correct it. I know that feeling. Uh, sometimes maybe you were ignorant to it, or if you were like me, you weren't all that ignorant to it. You were just defiant and want to do things your own way. Well, today, Lord, maybe you can draw them to you. And if you want to submit to the, uh, the Lordship of Christ today and uh, the Lordship of the one and only living God, you just say, I repent of my sins and I leave faith in myself and I place my faith in you. And I confess you right now as my Lord. Save me, forgive me, redeem me, reconcile me to you. And if you're sincere and only he knows that and you know that, he will. Lord, thank you for today. In your name we pray, amen. If there's any way I can help you, uh, if you've made some decisions today, you have, you have some questions, uh, and, uh, and I can answer them, I'll do my best, uh, or I'll find them in the Word of God for you. Uh, thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you, Lord willing, next week.